we were paged out for a base jumper that had managed to uh, land on a ledge accidentally. Tonight on Global News Hour, the harrowing rescue of a base jumper on the Stuwamis Chief. What search and rescue crews had to do to pull the man to safety. Plus. It was a very close call for Jade. The fur on her ear was singed, uh, we realized, when we took her to the vet. The police dog that saved the life of a VPD officer and the latest on a suspect who pulled the trigger and his appearance in court. And there was nothing not to love about her. She was honest, caring, put everyone before herself. The mysterious circumstances surrounding a BC woman's death in Australia. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Squamish Search and Rescue spent much of the day today bringing an errant base jumper to safety. Around 7.30 a.m., crews were called out to the Stuwamish Chief to rescue a base jumper who ran into trouble with his parachute and accidentally landed on a ledge where he became stuck. The man was stranded for hours, unable to go up or down. Search and Rescue volunteers initially tried to bring the jumper down with a long line or rope attached to a helicopter, but due to complications, they decided to send a rope team up instead. One SAR volunteer was eventually lowered down on a two-rope system to pick up the base jumper and get him to the ground. Up to 400 meters of rope was used in the rescue. So I think we had about 12 people in total um, facilitating this rescue and a few more on the ground and doing the administration behind the scenes as well to make this happen. Squamish Search and Rescue says their message is always the same. If you become stranded and in need of rescue, call 911 as soon as possible. Advise the dispatcher of your location, hunker down and stay where you are. And in Vernon Friday night, a rescue involving a powered paraglider. The machine somehow got entangled in overhead lines near Highway 97 and 43rd Avenue, not far from the city's airport. No word on injuries, but at least one person was taken by ambulance to Vernon Jubilee Hospital. Now to Whistler, where officials have been issuing a warning about a bear in the area, not a black bear, but a grizzly. Travis Prasad joins us now in studio with details. Travis? Yeah, Julie, we hear about black bears in Whistler all the time. That's not uncommon, but a grizzly bear, you don't see that as much. We do have photos of the grizzly bear in question. It's a healthy 300-pound female. It was seen this morning near the Fairmont Hotel just before the Whistler Half Marathon was set to begin. Conservation officers responded to the area along with police and they were able to tranquilize the bear and capture it. It's now being relocated somewhere away from the village. It comes after conservation received multiple reports about the bear in busy areas over the past 24 hours. No aggressive behavior was reported and it appears to have been feeding on natural food sources. According to the Whistler Municipality website, grizzly bears do in fact live in the Whistler area, but it's black bears that are more likely to be comfortable around humans. Conservation officers are now monitoring the Whistler area for bear activity. Julie. All right, thank you so much, Travis. The suspect in a police-involved shooting in Vancouver last year has been handed a five-year prison sentence for assaulting an officer and other charges. Kristen Robinson has more on the incident, which involved a very close call for a VPD canine and her handler, who credits his dog with saving his life. 
There's no doubt in my mind that if it wasn't for Jade that day that I probably wouldn't be here speaking to you today. Vancouver Police Constable Jesse Schellenberg says he owes his life to his canine partner. This was definitely a, something I've never seen before. I've never personally encountered and was totally uh, unpredictable to me. July 16th, 2022, he and Jade responded to a break and enter in Railtown. Police tried to stop a van leaving the area, but its driver took off eventually damaging 12 parked vehicles before crashing into a retaining wall near Commercial Drive and East 2nd Avenue. We attempted to arrest the driver, at which point he pulled a revolver out, a 357 Magnum revolver, and pointed it at my head. At the exact same time, my dog, Jade, engaged him on his leg, and he uh, turned the gun from my head to Jade's head, placed the barrel of the gun on top of Jade's head and pulled the trigger. Gunshot. Oh my God. Yeah. Jade was grazed by the gunfire. The fur on her ear was singed, uh, we realized when we took her to the vet. Uh, so the bullet ran parallel to her skull right past uh, her ear and narrowly missed her entire head. Police returned fire in order to arrest Robin Landrew Price, who was injured and taken away on a stretcher. The 53-year-old appeared in court in a wheelchair for his sentencing Friday. Price received five years in prison for using a firearm to assault a police officer, assaulting a police officer, and dangerous driving. With credit for time already spent in custody, he'll serve three years and eight months. Speak. Speak. Despite the close call, Jade was back on duty within days. And Schellenberg says the best partner he could have has since returned to the road. But it was very scary at the time, for sure. She's a very resilient girl, and she bounced back right away. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Vancouver firefighters quickly knocked down a construction site fire at Oak Ridge Mall this afternoon. It happened around 4 p.m. at Camby and 41st Avenue. Fire crews found heavy smoke and flames coming from the main floor of the high-rise construction site. It's believed construction materials caught fire in an area where parkade roofing work is underway. No injuries were reported, but there is heavy damage. It appears the fire was accidental. 40 firefighters responded and continued to douse hot spots after the initial blaze was extinguished. The BCRCMP hosted a first-of-its-kind information session in Surrey today where potential new recruits could apply on the spot. This as the city still has to finally decide whether to keep the RCMP or keep transitioning to a municipal force. It was held at the Surrey Detachment. More than 200 people signed up to learn about life as a member of the RCMP. Those serious about the job could sign up, giving a six-week head start in the application process. Some attendees were not bothered by the uncertainty around the policing situation in Surrey. Who knows down the future, down the road, you know, everything's uncertain. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, these guys, you know, they protect, serve, you know, um, and they're just doing their job. There is some uncertainty to it, but I feel like, um, you know, they'll still work through it. I mean, once the decision is finalized, that'll clear a lot of things up. Here at Surrey Detachment, it's business as usual. We are out there protecting the citizens of Surrey, just as we always have been throughout this whole transition period. Sergeant Tammy Lobb says applicants can choose a flexible posting plan, which guarantees them a position in B.C. 
New projections from the Surrey School District show a dire situation is only going to worsen as BC's fastest growing district is quickly running out of space. Enrollment in Surrey schools is expected to spike 26% by 2033. This, as the district says, current infrastructure cannot keep up. 22,000 students enrolled this year with only 750 seats available, forcing schools to rely on portables. It's a cost which the district says comes from operational funds and out of the classroom. Education Minister Rashna Singh says it's time to think outside of the box. Uh, so we are talking about modulars, uh, which are, uh, and Surrey School District seems quite receptive of that. So uh, also urban schools, um, also how we can be proactive, like how we can acquire more land uh, in the areas that would get busier in the coming years. People say, and I said it too, Surrey is a good place to be. But if you can't even send your child to a neighborhood school, what are we achieving? Not very much. The Surrey District School Board says $3.2 billion is needed to fund a five-year capital plan. Meanwhile, the government allocated $3.4 billion in the 2023 budget for all school projects across the province over the next three years. Burnaby RCMP are investigating a possible armed robbery near Metrotown Skytrain. A report initially came in just after 7 o'clock this morning as an assault with a weapon in the 4400 block of Beresford Street of a man being assaulted by more than one person. When police responded, they discovered the suspects were in a nearby restaurant. One man and one woman were taken into custody and two knives were seized. Police say the 22-year-old victim did not sustain major injuries. Police are recommending robbery charges for both suspects. A warning that coyotes are still common in Vancouver's Stanley Park. This one was spotted in VPD's mounted unit paddock on Thursday. Park visitors are encouraged to be vigilant of wildlife. Back in March, the park board reminded the public about coyote denning season. With litters of pups born in the spring, coyotes are more active during the day as they protect their dens and seek food for their young. Pets should be kept on a leash and garbage properly disposed. The Ministry of Forests trapped and killed 11 aggressive coyotes in Stanley Park in 2021 after 45 people reported being bitten or nipped. Still to come on Global News Hour, a BC woman found dead down under. The latest on an alleged domestic violence case in Australia. I was, we talked to a friend of the victim. And what the province is doing to end the violence against missing and murdered Indigenous women when the Global News Hour continues. Friends and family of a BC woman are in mourning tonight, a week after she was found dead in her Sydney, Australia apartment. As Julia Foy reports, the tragic case of Tatiana Dohaturu highlights issues of domestic violence, as well as concerns for how long it took police to respond to a call for help. The kindest, sweetest, most loving, caring. Amber Halita has spent days creating posters covered with pictures of 34-year-old Tatiana Dohateru, a friend she met in Surrey over a decade ago. She was the first girl that ever brought me to the gym, the first person to show me designer clothing. She was truly just full of life, a fashionista. Dohateru moved to Australia in 2012. She married Danny Zayat, and together they had a son. 
Haleda alleges she soon began to complain about domestic abuse and sent videos of her injuries. The reason she didn't call the police sooner was the fact she just kept saying, I can't take him away from his son. I can't take my, I can't have my son not have a father. And ultimately, she lost her life. Mother and son came back to Vancouver to visit her parents last summer. She allegedly got a restraining order against Zayat and moved out. But on May 27th, she was found deceased in her Sydney, Australia apartment. Haleda alleges Doatera's four-year-old son and estranged husband were in the home when police arrived. Do you really think he should have been released? Of course he should have. Of course. He's innocent. He didn't do anything. 28-year-old Danny Zayat is now facing 18 charges related to domestic violence. He has been denied bail. The investigation continues into the cause of Doha-Terra's death and how long it took police to attend the home after an anonymous emergency call was made 20 hours earlier. Her lawyer and friend says she's being harassed by Zayat's family. I was sworn at. Um, I was then um, trapped in an interview room whilst they were going wild outside the courtroom and had to be escorted uh, out by the police. I was, I was terrified. On Sunday, Haleda is organizing a candlelight vigil in Holland Park, Surrey, near the apartment tower where the two young women spent happy years together. Doatero's parents will be in attendance. She was a gypsy soul. She met people all over the world and they fell in love with her instantly. There was nothing not to love about her. Julia Foy, Global News. Saanich police are asking for the public's help to find a missing mother. 30-year-old Christine Pash last spoke with her mother by phone on May 28th, and police say it is highly unusual for her not to have returned home. Pash has a young son and may have been at or near a beach during that phone call. Her family is very worried about her. Pash has long black hair and was last seen wearing a floral pattern skirt with shorts underneath. She also has a Gemini symbol tattoo on her neck. The province says it's supporting its commitment to end violence against Indigenous women, girls and 2SL LGBTQQIA plus people. The B.C. government is providing $5.5 million to the Path Forward Community Fund managed by the B.C. Association of Aboriginal Friendship Centres. The fund goes toward community safety planning and to ensure the self-determination of Indigenous communities to address violence against Indigenous women, girls and 2 SLGBTQQIA plus people. BC's public safety minister says that population experiences violence at a much higher rate than others. The Path Forward Community Fund has supported 33 Indigenous led community projects addressing systemic causes of gender based violence. Coming up on Global News Hour, a close call in the Taiwan Strait. We'll tell you about the aggressive maneuvers of a Chinese warship coming way too close to an American destroyer during a rare Canada-U.S. joint mission. Plus, relief on the way in Nova Scotia, the latest on the historic wildfire situation there when we come back. An exclusive report from the Indo-Pacific region where China is flexing its military might and firming up its iron fist over one of the world's most contentious international waterways. A global news crew traveling with the Canadian Navy through the disputed South China Sea witnessed firsthand the latest aggressive military move by Beijing. Mackenzie Gray is aboard the Canadian frigate following the ships when it all went down. 
We've just completed an 18-hour journey of the Taiwan Strait here on HMCS Montreal, and we were joined by an American destroyer that had a close encounter with a Chinese warship. Our trip through the most politically charged waters in the world started off as anticlimactic. The only thing visible were the calm seas, but we did know there was a friend close by. When the Navy travels through this part of the world, they're generally accompanied by Allied ship. Right here is a U.S. warship that will be traveling with the Montreal through the Taiwan Strait. That ship, USS Chung-Hoon. It's been with the Montreal the past few days, but so have Chinese warships, shadowing the rare joint U.S.-Canada mission in the South China Sea, but from a distance. Once the fog cleared in the Taiwan Strait, we shot this video of one of the Chinese ships stepping up their aggression, picking up considerable steam coming in from the left, telling the Chung-Hoon over the radio to move or there'd be a collision. The Americans told the Chinese to stay clear of their ship, but ultimately they were cut off and needed to slow down to avoid getting hit. The two ships missing each other by only 150 yards. When you're in big warships uh, maneuvering close to each other, 150 yards uh, is, is very scary. Uh, and you, you don't ever want to be that close to another vessel because too many things can go wrong and you can actually have a collision. That's HMCS Montreal Commander Paul Mountford. He watched the incident and believes the Chinese broke international maritime regulations and acted unprofessionally. The fact that uh, this was announced over the radio prior to doing it clearly indicated that it was intentional. The Chinese ships didn't attempt a similar maneuver on the Montreal, but did get within 1,000 yards of the ship. I'm hoping that uh, that was an isolated incident that, that won't uh, happen again for us because we have international law on our side. This is, this is international waters. As the day moved on, so did the Chinese, drifting further and further away from the Canadian and U.S. ships as they continued their course right through the contested waters. The Montreal has now left the Strait of Taiwan, but the Chinese warships are still shadowing it. But it's the near collision with the U.S. destroyer that might have lasting impacts on the U.S.-China relationship. Mackenzie Gray, Global News, on board HMCS Montreal in the South China Sea. Officials in Nova Scotia provided some very good news Saturday after much of the province saw a downpour of rain throughout the morning and afternoon. It was a major help for crews who continue to battle the raging wildfires. But as Brittany Rosen tells us, the fight is far from over. In Nova Scotia, when it rains, it pours. Mother Nature finally providing some relief for firefighters who have been working around the clock to contain the remaining 10 active wildfires. It's raining and we're very pleased about that rain and the effect it's going to have on operations today. It's a stark contrast from the hot, dry and windy conditions the province has been up against all week. Crews and Tantalan seeing meaningful progress, downgrading its 950 hectare fire from out of control to a state of being held. It is now 85% contained. The rain that we are getting now is going to help the suppression issues. Uh, but that being said, this fire is not out and it will not be declared out for some time. And the Barrington Lake fire in Shelburne County is even further from being extinguished as it grows to more than 23,000 hectares. Helicopters and water bombers continue to be deployed. Roughly 150 firefighters, including volunteers, are on the grounds battling the ferocious flames. 
And as the strain on emergency resources builds, search and rescue has stepped up to support evacuation efforts. They're all, you know, basically a life or death situation for us. So it's a training and it's, uh, and it's experience level that we know what we're what we're in for and it, it's just focusing um, on the tasks that we have to, to deal with. But when it comes to dealing with the destruction of communities, which have left roughly 20,000 displaced, it is no easy task to take on. Now, while some residents have since been able to return home, areas like this one in the community of Tentallen remain evacuated. On Friday, there was a drive-by bus tour for residents who wanted to survey the damage and destruction to their properties. However, they weren't able to step foot off the bus. No word yet on when they will be able to view that destruction in person. Brittany Rosen, Global News, Tentallen, Nova Scotia. An annual open house taking place at the Williams Lake Fire Hall this afternoon with an early start to the wildfire season upon us. Locals getting a chance to meet their fire department as well as firefighters from nearby municipalities. Today's event also gave fire crews a chance to educate the public on the risks of forest and structure fires. Fire crews in Williams Lake are encouraging people to visit fire smart smart rather .ca to learn ways to better protect themselves and their properties. See ways that you can better protect your property in case of a fire, um, just clearing away and mitigating flammable materials around your property. We obviously live in a forest, uh, we're surrounded by trees. Uh, we started obviously interface uh, looking after our community by starting in town, uh, taking the, the and, and slash and burn, removing a lot of the under undercarriage underneath the trees and stuff, taking out the dead trees, moving up the sides of the mountains to the perimeters of the tops of the mountains so that we can lessen the chance of a, of a fire coming back into our community. The provincial government has been defending its prescribed safe supply program as a necessary tool to try to help lower the death toll from the overdose crisis. Now two young women have come forward to Global News saying they developed new opioid addictions after purchasing drugs they believe were diverted from safe supply. Paul Johnson reports. For those knowledgeable about BC's illicit drug trade, Vancouver's Maine and Hastings is also known as Pill Corner. It's one of the places we were able to easily buy Dilaudid tablets a couple of weeks ago. Now, two young mothers from the Fraser Valley are telling Global News they became addicted to Dilaudid pills a few months ago and ended up coming here to buy pills they believe had been diverted from prescribed safe supply. Both women spoke with us on the condition we keep their identities secret. Neither say they were using opioids or pills prior to their Dilaudid dependency. Each say they ended up needing about 15 pills a day to not get sick. Both women are now on Suboxone to try and get off Dilaudid and shared these pics with us to confirm their medical treatment. And now, unfortunately, I've been contacted by people who themselves are suffering from addictions as a result of diverted drugs. Eleanor Sturko is the BC United addictions critic who introduced us to the women. She says her hope isn't to kill safe supply programs, but to make sure they're run effectively and safely. We're asking them to put the required safeguards in place to make sure that people, uh, especially vulnerable people, are not being harmed by unintended consequences. The Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions told Global News there is no way to know the source of drugs purchased on the streets, even if a dealer claims it's from safe supply. 
and that the province is closely monitoring prescribed safe supply. For the Fraser Valley moms, their message is that while the abundant and cheap pills they got here gave them a couple of weeks of pleasure, it ultimately left them sick and fearing for their health. Paul Johnson, Global News. Still ahead on Global News Hour, showcasing black-owned businesses. We'll take you to the Afro World Expo at the Vancouver Convention Center and what you can check out when we come back. You're watching Global BC. Western Canada's largest trade show featuring black-owned businesses opened today. Uh, we actually funded over $700,000 to black-led uh, non Today, Afro World Expo is being held at the Vancouver Convention Centre this weekend. The event features entrepreneurship, learning opportunities, panel discussions, products, music and food. It's meant to showcase black-owned businesses, talent and culture. To really bring together our culture and our business so that the wider community can see, you know, what we have to offer. Our culture and our business often intertwine and it's important for, you know, when you learn about our business, you learn about our culture. And we really want everyone to come down and, and to participate because it's, it's just fantastic. Food, music, products, energy, everything. <laughs> There are more than 50 vendors, including youth entrepreneurs, and runs until tomorrow. One of Metro Vancouver's biggest festivals and parades returned to the streets of Burnaby today. Thousands coming out to catch the all-day party on Hastings Street called Hats Off Day. Besides the parade, there was plenty to do, including a street party and show and shine. This year's celebrations have an outer space theme and costumes were highly encouraged. Might be a little warm to be wearing some of those. <laughs> hey, Yvonne. They're good sports, though. you got to stick with the theme, right? That's right. Regardless of the forecast. That's right. Thanks, Julie. Good evening, everyone. It was a warm one, a warm start to our weekend, and temperatures are really going to be on the rise in the coming days, and that's going to be the big weather story. I'll show you that in just a moment. Quick glance outside, though. It's gorgeous out there. Temperatures sitting at 21 degrees. We've got a few clouds in the mix and a southwesterly wind at 17 kilometers per hour. Now, the plan as we get an overnight tonight, we'll see a few clouds, and then we'll rebound. We're back into that sunshine. Anticipate that for the latter half of the weekend, and it's the long-range forecast. Want to draw your attention. Tuesday through Thursday. We've got a surge in heat. It is going to bump up warm again. Plan ahead with temperatures away from the water. I'm showing you the Fraser Valley and the temperature trend there. We could get up to 30 degrees and it'll be similar for the interior. But to note, Wednesday, Thursday will likely be some of the hottest days and peak of the heat. So we're planning ahead as we get in towards next week. It'll be hot once again and very summer-like. Dry conditions, though, for the central and southern half of the province. Bit of a blip in the forecast. And this is along the northern half. Inland as well, we'll see some instability pick up chance for some showers and even the risk of a thunderstorm also looking ahead a special weather statement has been issued areas near Dees Lake Sunday through th Tuesday rather 30 and up to 50 millimeters and the snow level sitting at 900 meters we're also seeing a smoky skies bulletin for the northeastern corners those areas impacted by the smoke over the next 24 and 72 hours and for areas near the peace at this hour we do have a severe thunderstorm watch that is in effect 
Now, the concern for these areas near Dees Lake, we have the increased risk of landslides, rising river and lake levels. Dees Lake, Telegraph Creek included within that. And for Highway 97, the areas of concern will be from Jade City to Bob Quinn Lake. We'll be watching that closely, and that kicks in Sunday all the way towards our Tuesday morning. Also a concern, the fire danger rating. We're now sitting anywhere between moderate to high for much of the province. With the hot and dry conditions, no rain in the forecast. I anticipate this to change, and the northeastern corners of the province underneath red are sitting at extreme. If you do spot a fire, please call immediately on your cell phone, star 555 or the 1-800 number below. Now, the northern half of the province with that blip in the forecast, risk of a thunderstorm will be inland. Most areas across the central interior may have some cloud cover for the morning, easing off. We've got sunny and hot conditions for the southern interior, similar along the south coast. Lower mainland will be included within that, but a look ahead for the hottest days. Tuesday, Wednesday, away from the water, Julie. It's hot enough. We'll be feeling closer or pushing closer to 30 degrees. Back to you. Awesome. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, a longtime beloved employee of the Pacific National Exhibition has died. Vern Frick died Thursday night at the age of 80. He worked at the PE for 55 years as a member of their public safety team, retiring back in 2018. Vancouver Canucks also paid tribute to Vern, saying he was a dedicated host for them for more than 53 years, dating back to the very first Canucks game back on October 9th, 1970, at the Pacific Coliseum. Ah, what a long run. He's had been around for a long time and uh, knew a lot of people, so yeah, yeah it's awesome that uh, a lot of people got to be around him. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So what you got coming up? Well, uh, Whitecaps are going to be, uh, hopefully, I think the roof's got to be open tonight, doesn't it, with the weather like that, Yvonne? So they're going to Hope so. see if they can uh, fill the net again like they did the other night. They play Sporting Kansas City tonight, so we'll tee that up with Vanny. It's always interesting to hear from Vanny, no matter what's going on. We've got that. Stanley Cup final is opening in uh, Vegas. We'll have early highlights uh, from that coming up as well. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Well, coming up on the news hour, protecting children and teens. While there's a crackdown on the sharing of intimate images, advocates wonder what's being done to shield the youngest of victims. More on that when we come back. Amid growing cases of online extortion across Canada, big tech companies and major industry players are facing more pressure to be accountable for their role in taking down non-consensual online images. But some of the youngest people are being targeted online and their parents and educators say more resources are needed to protect children and teens. Neetu Garcha reports. The maturity level is not there yet, which is why I like stuff like this happens. There's the harassment, there's the bullying. These BC teens want to see more education in schools around dealing with online harassment and sextortion. It's like, it's your fault, you should have known better. But how are you supposed to know if you never learned about it? Pictures get altered, they get taken out of context. You know, a lot of editing now, like it could be a different person with a different face, different body. It looks like they're doing something completely different. They say they're hearing more and more cases of their peers falling victim. It's all about loneliness. People, kids don't feel safe. Um, no one talks to them at school, at home. This high school teacher says in a recent case, a female student shared intimate images with someone she thought was her boyfriend. It wasn't, and the stranger blackmailed her. I investigated and started calling saying, why are you not showing up to school and what's going on? And she was so intimidated, she wouldn't leave her house. How often are you directly hearing from students about this? I received three to four complaints a week, personally that I dealt with. It's why she recently helped form a committee of teachers on how to support victimized youth. As a parent, 
Parents and teachers are the focus for Brandon Lohr, the CEO of a company dedicated to providing digital literacy and internet safety education. Thank you everybody for joining us this evening and welcome to the White Hatter studio. He says while they've seen an increase in students reaching out for help, people of all ages are being targeted. This is also an issue for older adults. Um, This is a financial strategy that hackers and scammers use. He hopes help cracking down on those committing the crimes will come from a proposed federal bill, S-12, seeking to make Supreme Court mandated changes to who's automatically signed up for the National Sex Offender Registry and through BC's new law around removing non-consensual intimate images online. BC's Attorney General says major industry players she met with this week are responding well to the province's legislation. The meeting, I've had three so far. One was Google, Microsoft, and the one most recently was with the company that holds Pornhub, uh, MeetGeek. And what I heard from them was a, a commitment to work and abide by our legislation. She says the goal is to set a safer industry standard by focusing on accountability from the big actors. Neetu Garsha, Global News, Surrey, B.C. Still to come on Global News Hour, the Whitecaps battle Kansas City tonight, where the home team is ranked in scoring when it comes to predicting their performance when we come back. Come face to face with one of the world's most famous predators. At the Royal BC Museum, experience the life of Sue, the most complete and best preserved Tyrannosaurus Rex ever found. Don't miss the multimedia show on Sue's cast and learn about how Sue survived the challenging and dangerous world. Celebrate coastal culture at the Steepson Spot Prawn and Seafood Celebration. Meet the returning boats at Fisherman's Wharf to purchase the catch of the day, learn recipes from professional chefs, and visit participating local restaurants to indulge in the fresh, locally caught seafood. Our BC is brought to you by Return It Express. Got empty drink containers? Don't trash them. Make sure to hold on to them until you can return it for recycling. Barry is back. What you got? Well, we're going to start with a little soccer, Julie. Thank you so much. The uh, Whitecaps exploded for an all-time MLS high, six goals on Wednesday. And the hope is they didn't use them all up because they are back at BC Place tonight against Sporting Kansas City, 7.30 start. The Whitecaps have scored 24 goals in their 10 home matches in all competitions this season. And they are currently the fifth highest scoring team in Major League Soccer. That despite a stretch earlier this year when the ball was not going into the back of the net. Quickly, we also started converting it and uh, I knew that it was uh, uh, just... a matter of time, you know, uh, Brian White has started scoring regularly, Pedro has started scoring regularly, Ryan Gold opened his account last uh, last week, Sebastian Verhalpe scored his first goal in uh, in MLS, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping that more and more players are going to, are gonna, I would say, contribute in the, in the, in the near future. FA Cup final, Man City, Man United from Wembley, and it was split down the middle with blue and white. A first-time Manchester Derby FA Cup final. 13 seconds in, Ilke Gundogan gives Man City the lead. Fastest goal ever to start a match in an FA Cup final. Then a VAR handball decision goes United's way, and Bruno Fernandes from the spot ties it 1-1 at half. 
But City go back on top. Kevin De Bruyne with the service. It's usually pretty good. Gundogan again. This time the awkward yet very effective left foot volley that bounces past David De Gea. And City are now two-thirds of the way to the treble. EPL champs, FA Cup champs, and next week it's the UEFA Champions League final versus Inter Milan. To absolutely nobody's surprise, Connor Bedard has cleaned up at the Canadian Hockey League Awards today in Kamloops. The 17-year-old megastar from North Van made history, winning three awards, the CHL MVP, the CHL scoring champ, and the top draft prospect in what was just a dazzling display of skill and consistency all season long. Bedard led the country in scoring, 71 goals, 72 assists in just 57 games, and he really lit it up after he died dominated the World Juniors at Christmas. He had 44 goals in his last 29 games and also had 20 points in a seven-game playoff series versus Saskatoon. He will, of course, go number one in the NHL draft June 28th in Chicago. And congrats to Connor and his family for just an amazing season. The Mem Cup final, by the way, goes tomorrow, Quebec and Seattle. Game one, Stanley Cup final from Vegas, Golden Knights and Panthers. Wild atmosphere, as you would expect. These two franchises franchises both going for their first cup ever or trying to win it. They've second trip to the finals for both. Good chance early. Brett Howden, but Bobrovsky says no siree, Bob. Still scoreless. Doesn't take long for this series to heat up as Aiden Hill gets pushed by Nick Holden. That led to some mayhem. Panthers got the only penalty, but... While shorthanded, the KG vet Eric Stahl, 38-year-old fakes, then scores in his 100th career playoff game, 1-0 Florida. But Vegas ties it late on the period on the power play. Chandler Stevenson, great pass to Jonathan Marsh, so to make it 1-1. And Aldergrove's Shea Theodore has just scored, so Vegas leads 2-1 midway through the second. The Vancouver Bandits are 0-2 to start the CEBL season. Both of those games were on the road, but a packed Langley Event Center tonight should give the Bandits a boost to earn their first win of the season as they host Calgary in a 7 o'clock tip-off. Ward's been a force inside, so we've got to continue to kind of play through Nick, but we've got to make some outside shots. We're playing a, a really good Calgary team. They're 3-0, and uh, so, you know, it'll, it'll be a battle, but I know... The fact that we get to, to play in front of our fans is going to really energize us. So we just kind of got to kind of, you know, trust the work we've put in, uh, have some fun out there and, and play as hard as we can for our fans here. French Open from Paris, Canada's last singles player standing. Bianca Andreescu in a third-round match against Ukraine's Lysia Serenko. Andreescu playing some of her best tennis this year in her first two matches, really punishing the ball with big ground strokes, but trailed 2-1 opening set. Serenko at 34, a veteran player, and she really schooled Bianca today. Loads up the backhand, fires the winner, easily took the opening set 6-1, and then more of the same in the second. This time, Serenko off the uh, forehand wing, Rips another clean winner, and in just 62 minutes, Serenko wins at 6-1-6-1. So all the Canadian singles players are finny in Perry. Still a few left in the doubles. Baseball today, Blue Jays and Mets from New York. Another solid start for Jose Barrios. He went six strong, gave up just one run, struck out six, including Francisco Lindor twice. Jays finally scratch out a run in the sixth with two outs, Alejandro Kirk, with the hard liner that Lindor cannot handle, Brandon Belt, who doesn't have a lot of speed, still scores from second. Jays tie at 1-1. Toronto's pitching has been strong this year. The power and the clutch hitting 
has been less effective, but top of the ninth, two outs, two strikes. Vladdy Guerrero comes through with an RBI double, scoring George Springer, and the Jays win 2-1. They've now won three straight series, and they go for the sweep versus the Mets tomorrow. PGA Tour stop is the Memorial from Dublin, Ohio, hosted by the great Jack Nicklaus. Course is playing tough this week, but Rory McIlroy from the rough on 12. That's a bonus birdie as he chips it in, got within two of the lead, and then at 17, Rory's approach, he hits his iron so high, so he will land this one nice and soft, gets to within seven feet, and that would lead to another birdie. Rory posts six under, and that is good enough for a three-way tie for the lead with Siwoo Kim and David Lipsky. Just one Canadian made the cut, Taylor Pendrith, but he's way back at six over, tied 61st. The UBC Aquatic Center is home to the 58th annual Mel Zajac Jr. International Swim Meet this weekend. It concludes tomorrow. There are many world-class swimmers taking part, including Toronto's Josh Liendu, who as, as a teenager was a member of Canada's relay team that finished fourth at the Tokyo Olympics. And now he's breaking Canadian records and is one to watch for the podium at the 2024 Olympics in Paris. We get more from Asa Ramon. When you look at him now, you'd say Olympian Josh Liendo was born to swim. But his love for the sport didn't start in the place of his birth. I was born in Toronto, but I kind of, I grew up in the Caribbean. I, I grew up in Trinidad and I just started swimming for like just water safety, right? I'm, I grew up on an island. Swimming lessons led to a coach suggesting a more serious approach and that put him on the path to greatness. When he returned to Toronto as a nine-year-old, Josh focused on competitive swimming and got into the high-performance center in Toronto, where Canadian gold medalist Penny Oleksiak would also train. And I came in at 15, and you have these, you know, these women that like train really well, train fast, and I was getting beat by them. And uh, the coach at the time was like, you know, you gotta step up and try to beat these girls. Um, so for me, this kind of like a wake-up call because of the, just the different level in terms of like my perception of what being fast was and then what fast actually was. Josh quickly got up to speed and started making waves, winning medals at the World Junior Championships in 2019 and last year set a new Canadian record in the 50 free, which was previously held by Mission's Brent Hayden. 21-6-3, a new Canadian record. Josh is aiming to carry the torch long held by Brent as Canada's fastest male swimmer and his skills are on full display at this weekend's 58th annual Mel Zajac meet at UBC. Really good for our event to have him here, to get the exposure for the local swimming community to see him race. And he needs to get in some racing. Racing is the best form of training. So for him to get in some racing, for us to be able to watch him race is, is, is a win-win. This could be his last event before the World Championships in Japan next month, where he aims to make the podium. I said last year I want to get on the podium, but I mean, I feel like just like keep keep climbing the ladder and keep uh, obviously want to want to be one of the best in the world and that, that's the goal for me and there is preliminaries tomorrow morning and then the finals tomorrow night at ubc so that's really top-notch swimming awesome mm -hmm. thank you so much well still to come on the news hour the mystery of plane parts scattered around one bc community when we come back over the last weeks, plane parts have been spotted around Kelowna and no one seems to know why. But as Victoria Famia reports, there might be one theory on the unusual sighting of plane parts landing around the city. This is one of two large plane parts spotted in Kelowna over the last couple of weeks and those who've come across them have no idea where they came from. 
it's definitely something interesting that just someone drops off. This middle part of the plane has been near Beetlestone Road since May 21st. And in a video submitted to Global News, the same part was seen traveling on a flatbed truck through Kelowna on the same day with police cruisers seen around it. One member of the Okanagan Forest Task Force, a group of people known for cleaning the valley's backcountry, says hauling a heavy piece like this is not an easy task. You definitely needed a, not just a, you know, an F-350. You definitely had something larger hauling this around because it's, it's gooseneck trailers. The front of the plane was seen near Myra Canyon Adventure Park in the last few days. However, by Saturday afternoon, it appears the piece is no longer there. It's believed the plane may have been acquired by somebody who has yet to transport it to its rightful location, but that theory has yet to be confirmed. It's an odd one. I mean, unless you want to put a whole plane together and make a, a fancy Airbnb together, but I, I really don't know. I mean, it's just scrap metal in my opinion. Global News reached out to Bylaw and the city to see if they are aware of the parts and for further information. However, they did not respond in time for broadcast. Earlier today, Kelowna RCMP told Global News that even they are unsure why this part is here, adding that there's no police file on it and no complaints have been made. Victoria Famia, Global News, Kelowna. Okay. A UFOs, bit of a maybe? Yeah. Something about UFOs? <laughs> I know that makes no sense, but I always like to throw that in. <laughs> well, it's a head scratcher for sure. Yeah. But, uh, maybe a new tiny home. Yeah. Oh. Maybe. Maybe some <laughs> version of a tiny home. <laughs> yeah, well, who knows? I mean, stranger things have happened, right? Totally. Right. Well, thanks so much for being with us. <laughs> uh, uh, we uh, appreciate you being here. Have a great night.